One out, nobody on. The payoff to Murphy. Left-hand batter, strike three call. To the knees and right down the middle of the plate. But down, Murphy. Some games go on for a long time. This one's still going on in my mind. Hello and welcome to episode 10 of the Autobot Podcast. My name is Justin Vibber. Uh, as always, I'm joined by Niv Shaw and Chad Young. But tonight, we have a special guest. Eno Saris from The Athletic is here with us because we're going to kind of jump the order. We were going to be talking about second base on our next episode, but instead we decided to talk about starting pitching. So, uh, Eno, welcome. We are thrilled to have you on, on the episode today. So, Yes, um, uh, longtime fan of yours and, and Chad's and uh, longtime friend of Niv's. Uh, very happy to to be here uh, and talking talking pitching. I, I'll talk pitching any day. Yeah, and we we talked before right before we started recording. Um, but I wanted to mention it again. You are in two different auto new leagues. You're in a, I think you said head to head Fangraphs points in a five by five league. So you you obviously are playing the format and you're familiar with the mechanisms of auto new. So. Um, which is great because that's a lot of the the learning curve is just learning the the, the the format with the economics and everything. So we don't need to harp on nope. any of that tonight. Nope. So <laughs> I haven't. I'm not. Uh, I may not be as expert as you guys. We were talking also about how I haven't won one of my two leagues yet. <laughs> Niv said we had to bring that up, but, but you brought it up for us. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's that. That is uh, what I do. I usually just bear myself and all my flaws. Uh, I. I consistently finish in the top three. I, I don't know what it is I'm missing. One thing I, that I don't do um, a lot of is full rebuilds. Um, and so I kind of go from like second and third to like fourth and fifth and then second and third. Uh, maybe if I went whole hog uh, on a bunch of prospects one year, I could change my course. Um, another wait, thing wait. that I do is uh, I spend most of my money in the auction. Um, so I don't have a ton of FAB for the season. I, I think that serves me well, but I always feel like there's someone I can cut eventually to get money back. Uh, but, um, you know, those two things are like the, the way that I play that has consistently led to good results, but not great results. Yeah. I mean, I, as far as spending money at auction, that's, that's basically what I do too. So I, I think that's, I mean, yes, it makes sense to leave a little bit sometimes, but I find myself doing the same thing. I leave an auction with four hundred, you know, dollars tied up already. So yeah, I'm at three ninety nine um, in my phone. Yeah, it can be tough. <laughs> it can be tough not to just keep keep buying guys that that you like at the price, especially. So, um, all right, well, why don't we start talking about the top tier starting pitcher? Um, you know, you've got your own ranks, obviously. So, so who's your number one guy? Who's who's in the conversation to be number one, if if not the guy that you like at number one? I did uh, switch Colin DeGrom after the uh, the rules came out. Um, I had a, a, a sort of a soft 5% penalty uh, that I put on NL pitchers, um, you know, with the DH coming in. Um, and that was just enough to kind of switch uh, Colin DeGrom. Um, but, um, you know, that's, that's, my, that's what I've got at the top. Scherzer, uh, Bueller... Bieber, Clevenger, Verlander, 
Um, you know, they're all good. I just, I don't, uh, in terms of like snake and, and in terms of, uh, even an auto too, I don't love, uh, having like my biggest, uh, investment be a starting pitcher. Um, I don't love having like, uh, you know, a $60, I do that sometimes in rental situations, but like a $60, you know, $60 Stras- Strasburg I've seen, you know, that sort of deal, like, I don't know. It's I, I, there's so much variance in pitching. Uh, I'd rather uh, my my pitching staffs. You're usually like four twenty dollar guys. Um, so I've got a lot of Bueller and Fla- I've got Bueller and Flaherty as like my aces um, in in my two leagues. Chad, Flaherty, do you want Flaherty? Those are those are pretty good aces. I think uh, <laughs> th- th- those are guys who I'm, I'm imagining you kept from previous seasons because like. If I'm looking at the the average values across first year leagues, Bueller's going for over forty dollars, Flaherty going for thirty five. They're the fourth, right. sixth highest paid pitchers, and so um, yeah, that's think, where it becomes difficult to talk about. Like my, I think about it in terms of my league. In my league, they're you know tw- I have them at twenty dollars guys, but you're right, they're they're much more than that. Well, I think I, this is this is getting into I think I think your strategy for starting pitching based in I've I've been in leagues with you in in the past. It was in that experts league for a few years, and we were also both in uh, the Devils Rejects um, over on CBS for a while. Um, you tend to be a from what I've seen a a find rather than buy for starting yeah. pitching. Like I I see you often investing in. My my guess would be that you're paying twenty dollars for Bueller and Flaherty because you picked them up a couple years ago, real cheap. You've had some inflation and some uh, arbitration hit them. Um, is that typically what you you do? Is just try to like find guys who are going to break out and ride them while you can, rather than paying up for a Cole or a Degrom or yeah. Something. And and pitching is if I'm out of it, pitching is the first thing I trade away. Uh, I'm always trying to trade pitching for bats. Um, I'm always, yeah, I always sort of not investing as much in pitching because I feel I can find it. One thing I have changed over time is I used to be really extreme like that. And it was really good at the beginning when I was playing in easier leagues, um, where I had a rule for the first five years I played fantasy that I wouldn't take a pitcher in the first 10 rounds of a snake draft, you know? So I would have been a, a guy who didn't have in auto didn't have a pitcher over ten dollars kind of deal, right? But I think over over time, um, you know, the the quality of the league forces you to invest in pitching. So um, I have brought my investment in pitching up. I just uh, I think you're right. I'd, I'd rather find uh, than buy, and and I don't want to pay retail. Um, and uh, so. You know, for example, the way that it works in my auto new leagues is I've got uh, some I've got some expensive guys. Um, you know, I've got Verlander. I, I don't have a pitcher over twenty or twenty one in my experts league, but they're good ones: Verlander, Granke, Paxton, Woodruff. Um, but to replenish the guys behind that are guys like Spencer Turnbull for two dollars, Adrian Hauser for three dollars, John Means for three dollars. Uh, so that's what I'm always doing. I'm always buying these sort of three to five dollar pitchers, six dollar pitchers, and cycling them in as the as they get too expensive at the top. And now, and, and so I guess I'll, I'll ask you this as a sort of a strategy top level question for this year in particular. We had an episode on sort of the short season strategy for Audenew this year with with the schedule dynamics. 
we we had a hitting episode, we had a pitching episode. I was just curious if if you have any thoughts on how you would approach an auto new season differently this year with the mechanisms of this the short season rather than the full uh, season that we have, and then all the un- uncertainty, obviously, with COVID and the COVID uh, uh, IL, um, and how teams are going to adjust to that. Yeah, um, I. I was going to ask, really. <laughs> um, I have been struggling with it. I've been thinking about it. Um, and so I think that uh, the rules that the major league teams have to deal with are um, are going to be a big hint as to what we should do. And so the fact that there's an expanded roster uh, for the first month, and especially for the first two weeks is something that we need to react to. And I think what it's what's going to happen is you're going to have four inning starts from a lot of pitchers. They're not going to get wins if that's important to you, but they're also not going to get the bulk that you need to get um, good points out of your out of your starting pitchers. And so I think it might make sense actually to run behind your innings maximum pace early on. Okay. See, and and then like you're you're in a in a head to head league, and that's an, another thing. Is that if I'm, I don't know if is that a league where you have a number of game starts per week limit? Yeah, but in that, um, I'm not saying. I, I think in that one, I just want to be. I want to just the, my general strategy is just use your best pitchers, and then right. only do only play matchups on the fringes, you know, and and, and kind of plan of- out the whole week. Just look at all the starts, plan out the whole week, and be like, okay, on Sunday, I'm gonna have a choice between these two pitchers, you know. Yeah, and 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 Chad, Chad and Niv, you can remind me, but I think when we talked in that strategy episode, we we talked a lot about needing to be a little deeper on your odd and new roster at, at pitching, just to, to especially because like in a points league and a straight points, not a head to head, it's so important to reach your your innings cap. And I agree with you completely. You know that there's going to be, especially at the beginning of the year, there's going to be four inning starts, three inning guys, a lot of tandem starters, a lot of piggyback, a lot of you know uh, openers, and then the bulk reliever behind. Um, I, I think in general, the strategy that we talked about was having a deeper set of pitchers going into the year if you wanted to be able to hit um, anywhere close to those those inning limits. So yeah, we, we've talked a lot about um, avoiding anybody who's not going to give you value this year, right? This is a tough year to stash or to have prospects who are further away or something like that, because while you might typically be happy to have, let's say, you know, eight starting pitchers and six or seven relief pitchers. And you got a couple spots left for some prospects. Those couple spots left for prospects. You suddenly, you suddenly need them to be starting pitchers because you're going to get so much less per game than you otherwise would. You're gonna have to start more guys in order to hit that cap. Um, I, I think Eno's point about, about starting off and being comfortable being behind the pace is a really interesting one. Cause I think uh, in, in, in points leagues, I'm never comfortable being behind the pace, at least not too much, because I don't want to have to rush and make it up. But I'm not sure it's such a bad call this year. Um, because yeah, I wouldn't normally do it. I wouldn't normally do it. But if they're going to be, if it's going to be a lot of bullpenning early, we know that there's a sunset date on that. You know, two weeks in, they're going to be they're going to be able to do less bullpenning, and then you know, four weeks in, they're going to go down to 26 man. So. Uh, by that point, um, I would feel much more comfortable. Like Eduardo Rodriguez, for for example, you know he has a, a positive diagnosis. He's going to be a little bit behind. Uh, he's coming to camp at some point. Um, what is what's his first two starts going to be? Should I? I don't think I should use those. You know, he's kind of in that middle pack where 
if he doesn't get five or six innings, I'm not sure he's going to be give me a lot of points, and not, not, that might not be the best use of that of that game started. Or, yeah, yeah. I mean, that was one of the things I was going to mention is that another argument in favor of waiting to use those innings is that uncertainty in the beginning of the year. You don't know how ready these guys are. Yeah. Um, you know, without normal prep and in the spring. Um, so, so that could be an argument as well, that it's better to get some more certainty in as to who's healthy, who's pitching, who's, who's going deep into games, who's pitching well, um, before you commit what are now much more limited resources, right? Because you're not, I mean, the inning, inning cap is much lower than it normally would be. So you can't, you can't even waste one start in some, if you get a bomb start, like that could be a disaster for your team. It yeah. matters so much more than almost three times the impact as it used to. So, or more than three times the impact. So I think I'm going to play it conservatively and just like my stars will be in. And then I'm just to be really judicious about moving people in until I feel like they, and, and the, the stats that you have to, that we have to use this year are going to be, have to be kind of rudimentary because the, the 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 stats that we know and love a lot of those don't won't become stable very quickly it won't come stable quickly enough to matter this year even you know so i'm going to go back to the very basic strikeouts minus walks and velocity and you know some of my pitch movement stuff but like in pitch mix but that's it that's it and you know i, I think velocity is gonna be a huge component knowing where they sit is going to tell you something about where they are in their career where they are versus what they used to be that sort of deal well, I think watching where they sit as the season goes on too, right? We're used to guys who show up to camp either throwing particularly hard because they're rested and then they sort of settle in or guys who show up to camp and are working up to that speed. Um, you're going to have, I think you're probably going to have some guys who show up and, you know, their first couple starts, you're like, oh man, they're, they're a mile or two off. Something's wrong, yeah. but it's trending up because they're still building up strength and they're still getting ready for that uh, full season that they're, they're not going to have to do, but they're still getting they're still getting there, um, and so I think it's going to be important to watch that velocity through the first two, three, maybe even four starts for guys, which is going to be almost half the season. Yeah, no, but I mean, like, that's halfway through, right? I mean, that's yeah. that's the challenge. I mean, um, it, it is nice uh, that uh, fastball velocity becomes predictive very fast. So, like one uh, start usually gives you a lot of information. Uh, two starts gives you nearly all the information you need. Uh, for the rest of the season in terms of predictive quality. So uh, that's a normal season, though, right? <laughs> You're right. This is nothing about this is normal. So, um, you know, I think there's going to be a fair amount of luck this year. Uh, but the way that you can capitalize uh, on it is maybe by being a little bit more conservative. I think the other thing that, that's going to keep me conservative early in the season is I don't think I have a good sense yet for whether we're going to see players opt out or... Uh, get sick. I think we'll certainly see players get sick as the season goes on, and I think we probably will see some players opt out. And I do wonder if, like, late in the year, are you going to see a bunch of AAA lineups out there? Like, look at, like, uh, just to use them as an example, because Gallo's been in the news, but the Rangers, if it's, you know, S September 1st, September 5th, something like that, and the Rangers are out of it, does Gallo say, I don't want to go through this again? So I've, I've played my four or five weeks. That was good enough. And I'm, yeah. I'm done now. And do a handful of other guys back out? And do they then start giving some some reps to some younger guys to see what happens? And all of a sudden, you're starting, you know, I don't know, some the, the fifth starter for the Angels, Patrick Sandoval is an example, against effectively the Rangers AAA team in mid-September. Um, 
which sometimes happens in mid-September anyways, but it's usually a sixth of the season and not half the season. And, um, and, and there's also like, there's so kind of like limits on the credibility of tanking, right? Like if you have Brian Anderson on your Marlins team and you're, and he's healthy and you know, yes, we know you're trying to lose games, but you still have to run Brian Anderson out there. Right. But if Brian Anderson says, you know, I'm out <laughs> or I'm sick, uh, then that Marlins lineup could get real crappy real quick, you know. Yeah, uh, so I'm sort of, I'm sort of want to wait and see, like, who are the teams that are going to end up going that route, and who are the teams that by September 10th we're going to be saying this team is literally not a major league team. <laughs> you could start anybody against them. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I hope that they're, you know, a hope. Uh, <laughs> Uh, is a weird word, but uh, I, I anticipate something like that happening too. So uh, that would be another good reason to have a, a few more innings left. Yeah. Um, one of the other strategy things that I was thinking about is whether or not this setup makes those aces even more valuable than they otherwise would be. Those, like you said, those are the only guys you're going to feel comfortable starting right off the bat. Um, does that make them more value? I mean, instead of a $35 guy, is he a $40 guy? Because you have that dependability you're more certain that they're not going to get, they're going to go as many innings as they possibly can go. Um, I mean, I think we touched on that as well in that other episode. And I think for me, I think that's, that's true. I think that it, it, they are a little bit more valuable. I don't know if you could quantify the difference, but I almost, if I had to do it all over again, I've most of my leagues had already drafted before all this news broke, but if I had to do it over again, I think I might've done more stars and scrubs at the pitching position, one or two aces. And then, bargain bin the rest of the way just to hope that I can catch those guys that that slide into a rotation later in the year when, when these things inevitably occur so um I don't know if either yeah, I wonder it, I wonder like you know if you're thinking about and we think we've talked about this a couple of times when we talk about like Garrett Cole or, or Max Scherzer like guys who are like just famously want to throw every single pitch their arm has like if you're you know if you're looking at like Almost any other starter uh, in like the mid tier or whatever, these guys that you that in a traditional year would be like really beautiful people to have on your team, uh, but maybe only throw four innings their first two or three times out and you lose, you know, a big percentage of what your inning bulk load would be from them in a real year. Um, like Cole isn't going to come out. Like Cole's basically said that already. And I mean, we've all seen Scherzer, Scherzer's interest in coming out of baseball games, right? So, like, we're talking about guys like I think Justin's onto something there because like in this like Degrom, Scherzer, Tier, Cole, especially like you feel like they're going to have a little bit more trust. They're going to have a little bit more opportunity to get out of stuff, and you can imagine like that next to even just the next tier down, like not not super far away from that top top tier. You can imagine that being less the case, right? Yeah, I mean, a little like, bit more protective. Brandon Woodruff is a great name, I think, because I really love him. I really love his stuff, and I've have him pretty high. And he, I think he's in he's twentieth for me in my ranks. But the Brewers always play shenanigans. You know, they you know <laughs> yeah. they they have they use so many relievers. They're gonna have so many relievers, and if they only get four innings out of Brandon Woodruff, but it's four you know zero run innings, like four shutout innings, then like they'll be happy with that and they'll take them out. Uh, and the, the flip yeah. side of that too, though, is is you're going to avoid for me like the two things I'm thinking about from strategy's perspective, like um, the schedule, which is one thing that maybe is a longer conversation we can talk about, and the way it it's sort of unbalanced. But um, nobody's going to have a third time through the order except like those 
those top, top, top guys. Yeah. And so like when I'm thinking about, and you know, as we get into a little bit more of our like sleeper bus conversation, I think especially like we're going to be avoiding third time through the order on a lot of guys that that's the trap. Right. And, um, we joke about this, uh, in the Slack a lot about the opportunity. Like I know this guy can't go more than three times through or more than two times through. So let me pull him. Let me pull him early. Even though that manager doesn't know, even though the manager or the, or the player, uh, is really, you know, uh, convinced that they need to go uh, seven or seven seven point two or whatever. So a lot of these guys, you're just never going to have that problem where they just fall apart the third time through. And there's probably value to be found there if you really uh, investigate. I think there's probably like low end value to find, especially as you're like running the strategy of trying to pace a little lag a little bit behind. I think in roto leagues, especially that. That's like a no-brainer strategy. Uh, points league is a little bit harder, like you guys pointed out. But if you're lagging a little bit behind and you're avoiding that blow-up in the sixth inning, that's inevitable for some guys. I think that's like also an interesting, that's interesting way to think about it. The name, the name that I think of that a little bit is Denelson Lamette, because yeah. he's a two-pitch pitcher with bad command, and he often <laughs> he often falls apart at late in games. But if you had Denilson Lamette for four innings, you might get four pristine innings with six strikeouts, you know, and that might be just what you need. You know, yeah, that that's sounds, that's totally that right. That's it. Lamette is the exact same person I was thinking of uh, when we were doing this exercise. But I think that's true. I think every single person who is listening to this has a pitcher on their on their favorite baseball team or on their fantasy team that does this consistently, right? Yeah, that's like a classic trope of third time through the lineup. And I, and there's a reason third time through the lineup is a really challenging thing. So, uh, what, what I'm, what I, what I, the last piece of strategy that we haven't mentioned yet that I, that I, I just wonder if it translates to auto new and how, um, is the, uh, six starter that will be pitching, you know, the third through the sixth innings, you know, um, I'm fairly comfortable saying that in, uh, in Roto, uh, Roto sort of five by five, uh, putting these guys in instead of um, like Ryan Presley or not. He's he's actually good enough. But like I have Ryan Stanek, right? Instead of Ryan Stanek, I think I might put Tre- uh, Trevor Richards in a reliever spot because I think he will pitch. He will pitch well um, and he'll he'll vulture a lot of wins. But like for points leagues, do you think these guys are going to be rosterable? I'm talking about like. Trevor Richards, Jonathan Loisega, uh, who might actually get the rotation spot and is rosterable no matter what anyway. But um, a little bit less interesting guys are Patrick Sandoval, possibly. Um, you know what I'm talking about? I think any of those relievers, because in a points league, you get more value the more innings you can throw out of your bullpen because you're getting yeah. more efficient points per inning pitched. So the more you can stuff innings into your relieving spots, the better. Um, I don't think it's drastic in the case of these guys that otherwise would probably be starting um, because you know they're not going to pitch late enough to get holds or saves, which are the bonus points in, in right. points leagues. Yeah. Um, but I do think that, especially because we're talking about how difficult it's going to be potentially to make your innings caps, mm. I think those bulk guys are going to be very valuable. And I think identifying them and having you know some of those fifth or sixth starter types that if they're if they make the rotation great, you've got another guy that you can plug in and in, in, at a starting position position. Um, but if they're in the bullpen and they're bulk relievers, that's good too, because then you can use it's, I think the other thing that the teams have talked about a lot is that they're going to be much more 
regimented in scheduling these, some of these relievers. So if it's predictable that you know this guy's going every fourth day, but he's relieving, yeah, that's valuable because you you're not going to have five relievers necessarily pitching every day anyway. So you can take out your fifth worst somebody who's reliever and or, slide yeah. in a guy like Sandoval or whoever, or even a reliever uh, that's that's pitched two two days in a row or something. Yeah, that was, that's right, one of the that, things because that's not going to happen either. Yeah, that's one of the things we touched on in the earlier episode is that. Um, I mean, before I, we've had a lot more information come out since then, but early on the conversation was literally like, we're going to have a schedule for the week. And like, this guy's coming in on this day and that's it. And he's coming in in relief on this day and he's coming in Tuesday and he's coming in Friday. And that's, that's the work for the week. And like, we're probably going to get two or three innings out of him. Yeah. And if we get that kind of predictability around bullpen, like it could be a real game changer, especially in auto new where, uh, eligibility doesn't matter. Right. Uh, you can put SP guys like someone who was just a starting pitcher last year can go into your bullpen right away, um, and like you guys were saying, the the points rates are just really outstanding. Um, and and even in the in a head to head, like you know you're in that head to head Fangraphs points league, the more points you get, the better. There's no cap on uh, there's caps on your game start for the week, but not on innings. So if you can have a bulk reliever. That's even better than having a closer sometimes, because if they're going two innings every outing um, and they're scoring four points an inning, that's like having a closer that's scoring eight points an inning. Um, Yeah, my favorite. Like Seth Lugo was a great guy last year in in head-to-head leagues because he pitched, you know, and and Davinsky in the past would have been an amazing guy to have in a head-to-head fangrass points because you care more about the total points than you do about the efficiency um, in points per inning, which is normally what I would focus on in a standard season-long Fangraphs points. But in head-to-head, I just care about total points, um, especially, I mean, with relievers, like I said, you're not limited in any way. Um, is mo- The more you can throw, the better. Yeah, and, you know, there's a couple teams that have announced that they're doing something very particular that would be good for Autonew, which is their t- uh, piggyback starting. Right. And so, therefore, um, I'm really hoping that Kyle Wright, uh, who I have in this, um, is on the, on the second part of a piggyback start. Um, you know, because then I can know I will get two or three innings out of them and it'll be out of the bullpen. Um, so, you know, the names that come to mind for me, um, you know, I have them in a certain spot in my rankings, so they're fairly easy to spot are, uh, Andrew Kittredge, uh, Tony Gonsolin, Brad Peacock, uh, Randy, Randy Dobnak, um, uh, Framber, Framber Valdez, uh, Logan Allen. Anyway, yeah, that makes it's a, sense. It's a That's class of class of players that um, should probably pitch out, multiple innings behind the start. Outsized value this season. Yeah, I think so. That's interesting. All right, so do we want to transition over to uh, our favorite sleeper picks uh, at, at starting pitching? Um, Chad, why don't we start? You got a couple names that you wanted to talk about? Sure. Yeah, I think. Um the, the name that, that jumps out to me, and I think this is a case of the shortened season making people forget about him a little bit, is, is Rich Hill. Um, yeah. Hill's a guy who, if I look at the average values, uh, was outside the top 80 last time I looked across all formats, first-year leagues. He's 106. He's outside the top 100. So his average value is uh, – or average salary is $2.25 cents. Um, I think a lot of that is reflecting. I mean, there's a few things it's reflecting. He's he's had some ineffectiveness at times, but he's he's older. Uh, but I think it's mostly reflecting the fact that he was going to miss a bunch of time, and now I don't think he is. He's supposed to be ready, as I understand it, at least as ready as anybody else is per the conversation we've been having. Um, 
and a a healthy, ready to go Rich Hill uh, going full bore for fifty or sixty innings over the course of a sixty game season uh, is super attractive to me. Um, I don't. I, I think that I, you know, he certainly has the upside of being a top twenty starting pitcher. Whether or not he reaches that is a different question. But I, I'm you know, at at two dollars and twenty five cents or whatever is the two or three bucks that you're going to pay to get him. Uh, you're paying for his floor. Uh, and so it's a great buy, I think. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And and the one interesting thing I want to point out real quick is looking at that average salary page. Like his his average salary in the last ten ads is three dollars and eighty cents, which is just a bit above what his average salary is overall. So I don't, I still, still don't cheap. think that <laughs> right. He's he's still not really getting that that not being uh, bump that he should right that he should be getting. I, I've been I've added him a couple leagues recently for that reason because it seems like people are still sort of sleeping on the fact that he's going to be potentially ready to go and <laughs> it's funny i have uh I've, most of my leagues were drafted because there's this pressure on experts leagues to draft early to, to sort of show to, to kind of pr- uh, pr- so, like, provide mocks basically um you know guides to, to others and so most of my leagues are drafted and rich hill was my favorite stash in the dl uh, pick so I have like five or six shares of him um, where I got him the reserve rounds or for a dollar as I did in experts uh, auto new um, and it's been my favorite thing to do is like open up uh, open up a, a thing and find Rich Hill or Michael Fulmer you know uh, uh, sitting in my DL spot and be like oh nice they got healthy in the meantime <laughs> of course everybody else is going to get hurt so it's fine right there's also that um i think the other guy that that i've that i've looked at that i I think is less sort of he's certainly not a a rich hill type sleeper but um marquez with the the rockies is i think he's like the 45th or 46th highest paid pitcher in auto new first year leagues uh under ten dollars um I understand you might have to, you know, platoon him a bit and use him only half the time and stay away from from home games. But uh, I think even under those circumstances, he can provide well more than ten dollars of value. So uh, the Rockies were actually, and I, I don't mean to blow you up here, Chad, but the Rockies are one of those teams that really gets uh, the pitchers get crushed and the hitters get a bonus from the way the ba- the balance of the schedule worked. They actually end up playing a little bit more home games than. Than road games, and they end up uh, some of the places like Oakland that you would hope that they would get to play, uh, San Diego, whatever. They actually are on the unbalanced side of that, I think. So their schedule is like. I was just talking about this with somebody yesterday. This is not like uh, I didn't go through and do some sort of matrix of everybody in the everyone's schedule or anything, but but it's like kind of a crazy thing, like because that that is an outsized thing, right? The AL West and the NL West were going to play each other this year because of the way the schedule is. And so you look at like these hopeful places like, oh, man, snag a, a Marquez or a John Gray or whatever start in Seattle or in Oakland. But they end up end up playing more games in Colorado for the way that the things panned out. Um, so just something to keep in mind. I, I don't disagree with the choice of, of Marquez, especially at the price point. But uh, it's just something to keep in mind as you start – if you are – putting together a staff uh don't assume that you know that like it's a 50 50 split for every single game all every single matchup all the way down uh there might be some good matchups for marquez if you add up everything but uh in the division it turns out the rockies 
get a lot of home games this year. And this is something we talked about with the Indians, I think, a little bit, where they get kind of trucked by it. They end up playing a lot of road games in the division. And it's, it's just something it, to keep in mind this year. Isn't it even unbalanced against the teams that they're playing, especially the the, the interleague matchups? Like they're not it not like the Cubs aren't playing the same number of games against the other uh, the the AL Central as the Cardinals are, right? Or, or do right, I have so that wrong? Another, like so no, so I think like, that's right. So even you know who you're playing in those other matchups isn't balanced. So you you could have the effect of one team is just has easier matchups in those not not just the home and road split, but just the, the overall matchups. Right, that's right. So I think when you're looking at, maybe it's giant caveat for like all of our predictions here. Like, just dig into the schedule a little bit more. Um, but Marquez I, I, at the price point isn't like a. I mean, that's that's probably. Yeah, but it's interesting. I mean, like the the Giants, right? Who, if you've got a if you've got a, any pitcher in the NL West, you're you're pretty happy when they're facing the Giants in San Francisco, um, especially, right? Right. Like, the, but you're right. The Rockies play four in San Francisco and play the Giants seven times in Colorado. Uh, and so instead of that being, you know, five and five or something like that, um, if the schedule doesn't break the right way, he faces the Giants twice, but they're both in Colorado and never in San Francisco. Right. Uh, that's, that's a game a changer for his value, yeah. right? You're yeah, really and we're, we're, we're going to, I think we're going to see a lot of those outsized schedule effects. And I don't know that they're all going to be easy to predict necessarily, but because of how, I mean, just a simple matter of where he slots in, in the schedule. No, and I think I, like I was when I did look at sort of strength of schedule. Fangraphs had an article uh, a week or so ago looking at strength of schedule, um, and with the unbalanced schedule across divisions, um, like one of the things that jumped out at me with with Degrom at the top because he would be my top pitcher. Um, it's like his schedule is pretty unpleasant right now, right? They're going to play a good Nats team, a good Braves team, a good yeah. Yankees team, a Phillies offense that should be pretty good, yeah. and they're playing those teams. That's like. 60% of their games or something, right? They're playing those teams all the time. Right. Um, whereas like the Dodgers, uh, the Astros, um, the Indians, the twins, like those are teams that have much better schedules to play. Um, and, and I'm, I'm way more likely to, to dive in on those guys. It's so, like, when I look at the top, I'm suddenly way more interested in like Kershaw, Bueller, Clevenger, Bieber, Verlander than I am in DeGrom or Cole. Um, Partially because I don't, partially because of the price thing that Eno was talking yeah. about before. Anyways, I don't, I often don't buy those top guys. Anyways, but I think the gap is actually going to grow because those, they're, they're Degrom and and Cole. I think are going to have much tougher schedules than some of those other guys. Uh, just a, 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 like general rule of thumb for me has been that the centrals in both the divisions um, are a good place to shop um, because not only do they play each other and they're not the best divisions, but then when they go interleague, they play the other central, right? <laughs> so, um, you know, that's right. you can be, you can be as granular as you want to be and like, look at every single team. Uh, but it's been a little bit easier for me to just be like central good. <laughs> um, All right. That might so be the it, way to it, approach it. it. As as a Cubs fan and two Indians fans here, are we going to take issue with you know saying that the Central is not they're not the good divisions? I was actually talking about the Royals. <laughs> right, right, right. Everybody, but <laughs> I didn't oh, think I mean, he's not he's not wrong, man. I mean, I the Indians, yeah, he's, the it's, Indians it's, have made a business out of it, right? I mean, like that's what the the play has been the last few years. Anyway, Chad, I, think, I, I think the I think the AL Central from from a going to shop for pitching standpoint. Uh, 
is a little bit harder to read because I don't know what to expect from the White Sox mm-hmm. um, or the Indians for that matter. I think you know the Indians are a little bit top heavy, but like Lindor and and Ramirez along with Franmil and Carlos Santana and like if Domingo bounces back, you could suddenly have a really strong offense there. The yeah. Sox, if the guys develop, are going to be a really strong offense. The Twins are the Twins, right? They're going to hit seven thousand home runs even in a short <laughs> season. No, so I think this. Yeah, this is this is a great point because I think that the, there's a flaw in strength of schedule um, analysis and uh, strength of opponent analysis, and that is that the, the the true talent strength of an opponent is a moving target, you know. And yeah, a lot of times we look at like I've seen people like by last year's record. Well, come on, that we can do better than that, you know. By if you do by projections, okay, you're doing a little bit better. But we also know that people go up and below their projections all the time. So you know it could easily uh, gel. And for me, the White Sox lineup is the one where like it could be pretty bad or it could be really good because they're all like 26 years old. That could be an always start or an always sit very quickly. And like yeah, you have to make that call like how like how soon? How many by, games by, do the White by the time Sox you're play? confident making it? Yeah, right. how many games do the White Sox play before you? So this might be the season of just making bets, right? Like of letting the variance, and then you know, we, we've talked. This is sort of the running theme of this: is like letting the variance sort of wash over you on this stuff. Like it's going to be a weird year, and you may have to accept like taking some risks and like going out there a little bit, and uh, you know, take a bet that the White Sox are going to be good or they're going to be bad. I mean, I don't know. Make right. the ball. Yeah, right. In a just normal season, in a normal season, I don't really change too much on my my priors we'll call them until mid-may right anytime before then there's a few signals i might look at in terms of like a strikeout rate or something like that but in general of like if i thought a guy was going to be good in march um yeah. that's going to take more than what he does in april or the first half of may to change my mind about that and, and i'm, I'm generally thing. conservative like that too but yeah you can't do that this year yeah so your choice is either i've set my team and this is my team and i'm rolling with it for two months and if they all suck, they all suck. Or you're gonna have to say, "Look, it's been two weeks, and I have to make a decision. I've got to, I've got to either cut bait or, and it's, or I can continue to bank on my priors." But it's more, it's much more pressure on us in auto new, given that, it, like, it's not like a redraft where you're like, ah, Denelson Lamette this year just he's like three innings and he's blowing up and it sucks and I, I I'm just gonna drop him. Well, not an auto new. Yeah, and, and well, and and the other issue is is that you have cap penalties too. So if you pick up a guy for a dollar or two, and he's trash, and you cut him, well, that that penalty is going to stick around, start, and start and they start to add up, and and you're you're restricting yourself at that point too. So I mean, that's the one. I think the biggest downside to doing a stars and scrub, like I suggested for starting pitching, is if those scrubs tank. You you you're gonna get hit with those penalties all year, um, and that can be hard to overcome. So, I mean, for me, I think my my biggest targets just in terms of like a sleeper um, are the guys that Niv sort of already mentioned. Those those guys that maybe they have control issues, maybe they're not guys that are really gonna get three times through the order or pitch six innings, um, but they're gonna be excellent in short stints. So, I, I really like Denelson Lamette. Yeah. I think he's he's definitely a guy that I've been targeting, especially in Fangraphs points leagues where. The way the scoring is set up, having a high strikeout pitcher is just so much more valuable than like a pitch to contact guy or yeah. a, you know, a, a good control guy. Um, you Darvish being another one that sort of fits that mold that he struggles with his control, but he's obviously got electric stuff. Um, I also really like Mitch Keller this year. I think he 
was hit by a lot of bad luck last year. The peripherals were much better than the results. Um, and I don't think, I mean, he's going for, where did I have it on here? It was his average price in first year leagues is just under $7. And I think he's a top 50 pitcher, Mitch, Mitch Keller. Keller. Yeah. So for, for, for seven bucks, I'm taking that bet all day long um, as a high upside guy. One, one thing that's really interesting about this season is that, um, you know, normally I, I looked at the uh, 1981 season um, that was two half seasons. So basically two samples of 60 game seasons. Um, and the biggest surprises that year, uh, they didn't strike out any more batters than they normally struck out. They actually struck out fewer batters than they than they normally struck out. So this, Bert Hooten had an amazing year that year. I love his name, Bert Hooten. I want to say it again. <laughs> Bert Hooten was amazing, but it wasn't because of the strikeout. He struck out fewer batters than he did in his career, um, and so did this group, his cohort of sort of surprising guys. Uh, they walked a little bit fewer than they normally did, but their home run rate was cut in a third. And we know that home run rate takes wow. two and a half seasons to be believable for a pitcher, right? So it's one of the worst things um, to, to, to deal with in a, in a, in a small sample. So this, the most surprising pitchers are going to be people who have bad home run rates in the past uh, that just have a great season of a great stretch of no home runs. So Lamette, I think fits right in there. So is that, I mean, is, is the way to play that to actually gamble on guys with like, take guys who get lots of strikeouts and give up way too many home runs and think, Hey, maybe they'll get lucky and not give up a bunch of home runs. And if they do, that's what I was paying for anyways. I think so. So I got a list for you. These, uh, this list, everybody on this list, uh, is above average in strikeouts and walks except for the last one. Uh, but they're ranked, uh, by the worst home run problem in baseball, right? Matthew Boyd, Jose Urquidy, Dylan Bundy, Jake Odorizzi, Kenta Maeda, James Paxton, Rich Hill, Griffin Canning, Justin Verlander, Lucas Giolito. So obviously Verlander and Giolito cost money and um, we've already covered Hill. But there are, I think, in Maeda and Odorizzi, uh, guys that where the schedule lines up pretty well for them. Um, and uh, there's this variance factor on the home run angle. Um, and I don't think that the twins are actually so well staffed in the bullpen that they can really, uh, do like tandem, um, starts and, and bullpen games like everybody else. Uh, so I, I, you know, Maeda and Odorizzi are, are boring kind of vanilla guys, but if they just have a half their home run rate this year, they'll be great. We talk a little bit about Arkady. I'm curious. So uh, this is there, there, there's uh, some some background here, which is that Niv and I are now co-managing a team for the first time, oh. and we just made a trade where our primary target in the trade was Omar Narvaez because we needed a catcher, um, and the other team we agreed that we needed something else coming our way in the deal and gave us a list of guys, and we didn't really like any of them, and we're like, we'll take Urquidy. He seems like he he might be good, and I don't think either of us really believe in him, but we took him. Yeah, I I'm mean, curious to see. I'm curious what you guys think of- about him. His profile was interesting to us. His, you know, his, his age is the right number, and like, uh, he's shown flashes of success. But neither of us are expecting a miracle here. We were just like, well, additional player, fine. Let's take a flyer. Who do you want to take a flyer on? And positionally, roster construction wise, Urquidy was the right choice. So 
not a huge investment from us, but like now we're interested in this conversation. Like this is well, uh, it, it's funny because uh, there's this variance factor, uh, but I also use uh, this driveline stuff number uh, and this command plus number that I get from stats. Um, and Urkiti is uh, above average on both, which um, it sounds unimpressive but it's actually uh, a difficult thing to do there's only about 40 uh 40 or so starting pitchers that do that uh so he's in my top 40 um uh, i think in terms of stuff i see the change up is good the the fastball velocity is good enough the movement is good on most of his pitches i if there's any sort of ceiling left it's improvement on the breaking balls uh, but you know, he's in the right place to, to improve your breaking balls. The Astros are, are good at that. So, you know, he's in a class of, of pitchers that I, that I was going to describe as my favorite sleepers, which is Frankie Montas, um, Julio Urias, Zach Gallen, uh, and Urquidy. They cost money, uh, but they're all in the sort of 10 in the first year, uh, they're the 10 to $14 pitchers. Uh, and those, I love buying those because, they they're not as much shots in the dark as uh, like a two dollar pitcher, um, and you get a player that could still be valuable into uh, you know when he's costing twenty one, twenty two, twenty three dollars. You know, so you you can you can own them for four or five years, um, and, and that's ideal for me. I think you get them right in the middle of their careers. Yeah, that makes sense. It's such an important factor in 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 constructing uh, a long term pitching staff in Auto New, especially. So, little tidbit there on why Eno's always top three. <laughs> we, we we've talked a lot about uh, guys with upside, sort of sleepers. Is there anyone else from that list that we haven't talked about, or should we should we start talking about who we're who we're not excited about? Oh, I've got the the thing open. Um. I mean, the only we other didn't guy talk about that prospects, I, I guess. Well, we we could we could segue over to the prospects if we wanted to. Oh, I like, see. We were supposed to do bus before here. Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> so I think I think there there weren't any sleepers that I wanted to add. So unless there was any that Eno wanted to add, I think we can talk about bus. Um, for me, and I know it's probably going to be somewhat controversial, but the two biggest busts that I have written down are, are Zach Greinke and Madison Bumgarner. Um, mostly because the market's paying them for the name brand price, and I just don't think it's supported um, by what what their performance justifies it. I mean, Granky's a twenty dollar pitcher in first year leagues, which is twenty third overall at starting pitcher. Um, the the surplus calculator dollar values have him at fifty four. I don't think he really is that low, but even if he's like a mid thirties um, ranked pitcher, I mean, you're you're not you're you're paying a premium for him there. And then Bumgarner, I think, is a similar situation where his average price in first-year leagues is about $13, which puts him at the 36th most expensive starting pitcher. And I don't think there's any way he's a top 40 pitcher this year. Um, and I feel like they also said – something I was reading said the Diamondbacks were one of those teams that got got hit with, with the schedule um, – with the way that that broke down, I, I could be wrong about that. I but. tried to, I have a $21 Granky in my five by five experts and I tried to shop them all year, all off season. Yeah. And I just, nothing was really exciting. So I, 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 I agree with you, man. I, I, I mean, I think his command and the number of pitches he has is leading to a soft landing. But if you just look at his age, man, and you look at his fastball velocity, the Reaper is coming. Right. Yeah, and I think I mean the, the, it's going to be an extremely high floor for Grinky, but I just don't think that um, 
you know, it justifies paying the price that he's been going for. Um, because I mean, and Niv and, and Chad know this, like I'm price sensitive when I'm, when I'm in auctions and I'm, I'm evaluating anybody it, because everything in auditing was driven by a salary. I, it, to me, first and foremost is the price. If, if the price is too high, I'm just not interested. Um, and, and these two guys, especially are guys that I just think the price is too high. Uh, the other guy I had listed was Mike Soraka, not because I don't think that he's a great talent, but it's another guy that he was so good last year and, and the hype sort of followed him with that, that I think he's just not, I mean, he's an $18 pitcher in first year leagues. And I think that's just a little too aggressive this year. Um, I think he could be a guy that backslides a little bit before coming on in a couple more years. So going back to our, our conversation about home run rate, I mean, I think one of the things with, with Soraka, if you look at him last year is he had that great year. He didn't really strike out a ton of guys. He has good control. He doesn't walk a whole lot. His home run per nine was uh, 0.72. Um, and, and that lack of strikeouts is exactly what I was talking about before with that profile is specifically for Fangraph's points. That's just not a profile that plays very well without a whole lot of batted ball luck. And, well, and given, he had that. And given the noise in, in that home run rate, are you are you paying for his ceiling when there's a possibility that just purely off noise, his home run rate doubles this year? And if his home run rate doubles this year and his strikeout rate doesn't really improve, he's not going to be good. Um which will make him a great buy next year when you can count on having him right. for a full season. When everybody dumps their shares, yeah. Right. But, but right now, I think that that's a little scary to me. Um, he actually, in some ways, looks like the guy that, that I uh, have talked about is, or that I put down as my potential bust, which is Jose Barrios with the, the Twins. Um, he doesn't have the same home run rate uh, as, as Soraka at all, but not a ton of strikeouts, and he's really gotten a lot of his value, I think, as a fantasy pitcher because he's made uh, he's made 89 starts over the last three years. He doesn't miss starts, and he's thrown almost 400 innings over the last two years combined. And um, I, I just I think that he's a guy who, in a full season, you can count on getting all the starts out of him. They're all going to be good. Um, in in five by five, the Twins are going to hit a lot, and so he's going to get some wins, especially because he's going to make those 30 starts in a full season. But in a shortened season where I, I don't think his volume is going to be what it what it is not going to provide value, where he doesn't really provide those strikeouts. Um, in Auto New, where unless you're in a five by five, you're not really looking at wins. I just think he's I think he's paid for stuff that you're not going to get credit for in in this context. I I disagree vehemently on Barrios, but it's very interesting to me that the stats that I look at uh, under the hood, the stats I was talking about, stuff and command, are so different for Barrios and Soroka, even though I totally agree with you on the sort of strikeout rate and the, the, the shape of their production so far has looked similar. So I don't, I don't, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm too into my, my little, my little toys. Um, but <laughs> I think we all are. <laughs> what do you see with Barrios? Uh, so Barrios has, uh, so for example, stuff is on a hundred equals average. Barrios has 107 stuff. Soroka has 98. Um, and Barrios has 116 command plus and Soroka has 102. If you look at people that have better than 105 in both, there's like 10 starting pitchers and their names are Cole, DeGrom, Verlander, uh, Bieber, uh, Strasburg, uh, Woodruff, Castillo, um, and that's the end of the list. Yeah, but anyone good? 
<laughs> so I, I don't, I don't, but I, I get it. I get it. And the, the curveball sometimes uh, looks like something that people can put wood on, but um, you know, it has that path that kind of goes right into their, their barrels. Um, but I'd also know that the twins are asking him to try and do more of an, a 12, six curveball. So I do think that there is a little bit of upside left in the strike strikeout rate. Um, and, but I also think that you're buying floor with Barrios. Um, I think there's a massive amount of floor. Well, I mean, and we just talked much... about how we want to be uh, conservative and conservative. how uh, we want to have studs we can know we can throw out there every time. And I, th- I just count Barrios as one of those. Soroka, I agree with the outsize uh, price versus his skill set. Uh, definitely, definitely understand that one. I mean, on my my last ten here, I got Grinky, Barrios, and Soroka all at the same sort of twenty-ish, twenty-two dollar uh, last ten transactions in Auto News. So. I mean, we talked. This is sort of a running theme for us as well. Like, bust in this context and sleeper in this context is really price sensitive, right? Yeah. Like, it, it's really defined by where you're getting them, price wise. If you can get Barrios at the at the low end, the seven dollar Barrios out there. Like, if you get them in the in the teens, like, can't call them bust. But if you're paying uh, the high end, thirty seven dollars for them, like yeah, like I, I, I mean, wouldn't feel like a challenge either. Right? Like Barrows for me, yeah. I've got him ranked twenty first. You know, if I'm paying thirty five dollars, I want a top five guy. I feel like top ten. Yeah, twenty first. I mean, his his average salary across first year leagues is twentieth. It's twentieth, so. right? That's right there. I guess so it's slightly I'm gonna, overpaid. Like, <laughs> like, 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 like I'm good with that. That's a, that's a shrug for me. So yeah, fair enough. He might just be right. But like I mean, for, you know. for for someone for me like uh, Max Freed uh, was my guy. Um, I'm looking at him fifteen dollars in first year leagues, um, which should put him in that gallon uh, that gallon Urias Montas group that I was talking about. Uh, but I have Freed fiftieth uh, overall, um, so I think that's an outsized price. Uh, parts of the things that are going against Freed um, are uh, the 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 Atlanta Braves saying they're gonna t- they're gonna tandem start um, and um, massive command problems in the minor leagues uh, that uh, you know he kind of I'm not sure that he just they're gone you know what I mean <laughs> right like I'm pretty sure his walk rate will be bigger this year than it was last year right. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's last, a fair his point. His walk rate last year looks so out of line with anything he's ever done. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I think there'll be some regression there. I have Haney as a possible bust, but that one is because projections. I just don't believe the projections on him. It's kind of crazy. I get they're all looking at strikeout minus walk rate, and they're giving him. Like his best, he's projected into his best ERA of his career, but that doesn't make any sense. He's never done it. Yeah, there, there's this small. I mean, I look at especially Steamer. I look at these projections all the time because it's what I what drives all the surplus cal- dollar values and uh-huh. things. He needs one of those guys for for I want to say going back three or four years. Steamer has always had a much more aggressive projection than anybody else, and then then his performance I think is justified. There's something about him that that steamer is latched onto i don't i don't 100 get it either but it's it's a real thing like it's and i think most of it is driven by some love affair that steamer has something in, in his profile that they like. or something but I if i look know. at the projections this year like 
Steamer is the low man on him on ERA at 3.96. Everyone else is up above four. But if I look at FIP, just which for, for auto new purposes is almost a better thing to look at anyways, uh, Zips at 4.11, Steamer at 4.11, ATC at 3.99, the Bat at 4.18. It's not just Steamer. Yeah. It Everybody is. At literally every single projection once, is for a it, career. Only once in his career has he really done something like that. <laughs> yeah. Twice. I mean, it, 2015. The, the, the differences aren't. <laughs> Yeah, the differences aren't stark this year. I agree with it with that. I'm I'm saying in prior years, looking at the projections, Steamer was always they were projecting much better than this. Um, you know, so they were always projecting a career year for him. Yeah, like, right. For for three he years, they projected that. Does he though? Like if I look at his year last year, ton of strikeouts, right? Over eleven strikeouts per nine. Controlled the walks under three per nine, and. 1.89 home runs per nine. Is he a guy who falls into that like, oh, hey, maybe he goes through variance. a season where he just <laughs> gives up 0.6 home runs per nine instead of two? And- uh, he'll make me look foolish. <laughs> <laughs> I, I still have a couple shares because he's been, because of those projections, I bought him. I have him in keeper leagues where he's kind of like the dollar pitcher that I can't drop. <laughs> right. yeah. You know, like I'm always staring at him and being like, Come on, dude. When are you going to do it? <laughs> <laughs> it's time to poop or get off the pot. It sounds like you're talking more to yourself than me <laughs> on that one. You got you got to make that call. But I mean, you know, on the age curve and everything, like it it does seem unlikely that we're going to see what Steamer sees in him. It, that to me seems unlikely. Now, are we calling him a bust? I don't know. I mean, maybe projections put him really high, but like, the dollar price in Auto is not high. No, right. that, no, that's I don't why think... I took him off. I was like, I want to mention him, but the, you know, for six bucks, I could see buying Haney, even even me. Yeah, he's <laughs> he's the fifty second highest priced pitcher in in first year leagues, and if you're paying for him as the fifty sixth best pitcher, I just don't think or fifty whatever I say fifty second whatever outside the top fifty. Um, it's just not that crazy a price to pay for him. Yeah, no. you're paying six or seven for yeah, him. Yeah, I, I have him ranked very 61, doable. but like, okay. <laughs> and, well, and, and and looking at the surplus calc, which obviously is driven by the projections, he's the 43rd ranked starting pitcher, it looks like, in, in terms of dollar value on that. So it, it is still, the projections are still bumping him up a little bit higher than the market is. So I don't know that he's going to be a bust based on the price you can pay for him, but which is why you know said he kind of removed him as a as a bust option but yeah. i think you know that's you, may not, you just may not want to roster him based on you might find more value in trading him if you trading find someone him. who believes in that R- yeah. right right yep yeah get someone to get someone to pay for the projection the full projection although in devil's rejects i've i've had haney on the block for a while and nobody's been <laughs> no no fighting yeah, he's he's that's one of those guys I'm surprised that... in that league that's a that's a 20 team league with a lot of depth right 20 20 teams with 45 man rosters if i remember correctly um i'm surprised there isn't one owner who's looking at that projection and thinking on a 45 man roster this guy could be insanely valuable um, like you're, you're talking about a league that goes. You inspired me to, to re-update the trade block and see, <laughs> see, if, see if this will do it. <laughs> Reignite. You can trade interest. him for some, like in that league. You could trade him for some, like 15 year old kid who yeah. be drafted <laughs> in three years. <laughs> a little too deep. A little too deep. It's quite a league. Um, what I, I, this is regressing a little bit based on the 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 order of the conversation we've had, but one guy, another guy I wanted to mention sort of almost as a sleeper, sort of as part of the strategy discussion we had earlier, but Trevor Bauer, I mean, do we want to talk about this, this plan that they might have, where is he really going to pitch every four days? And if he does, 
how much more valuable might that make him than he otherwise would be because he is, you know, pitching more frequently and accumulating more well, starts than, than any other pitcher? Do we believe it? It has to be the good version. Otherwise, it'd just be... I mean, yeah, I mean, that's, that's <laughs> a lot of home runs. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it is that, it, I know, so that, it, I know, but personally, he's always wanted to do this, um, that he's, he thought that he could, he could pitch like 300 innings in a, in a season. So, um, I, and, and now with everybody basically, uh, drivelined up and down that, that, uh, that pitching, uh, staff there, I, right I feel there. like, you know, they're going to let him do what he wants to do. He's also on the last year of his expiring deal, so did they want to get yeah. as much value out of them as they can if they're not going to sign him? I think that the whether or not he holds that much value, um, I mean, part of it obviously depends on if, like I said, is it the good Bauer? If you get 2018 Bauer, it doesn't matter how many innings he throws, you want every single one of them. If you get 2019 Bauer, <laughs> you may yeah. not. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So it, it depends a little bit on on that, but I think assuming you get a a decent, let's call it sort of an average Trevor Bauer, who's a totally fine starting pitcher. He's not an ace, but he's not going to hurt you either. Um, the extra innings, I think, Matt, it depends an awful lot on how your uh, how your league is structured. And, and in, in a league where you have an innings cap, um, I'm not sure getting a bunch of extra innings out of sort of your middle-of-the-pack starting pitcher is, is a huge advantage. Maybe I'm wrong. It's like um, a lot of oatmeal. Yes. <laughs> like if you really want a lot of oatmeal. Ba- Bauer, Bauer isn't an SP3. Come on. He's a little bit better than that, right? Like, yeah, I, mean, I, I, I was going to say the same thing. That I, I don't I think, think he's an ace. But we but also think, don't know. Like He could pitch every four days and every three and days. And turn into days. oatmeal, maybe? No, also throw four innings. Right, right. Because yeah. if he's pitching every fourth day, it doesn't mean he's pitching his normal workload every four, every yeah, four like, days. I, I, so, so I can't imagine that what question. he is signing up for is the same number of innings split over more starts. That's not like, like you know, like you were saying, like he's a guy he never wants to come out of a game. He feels like like I remember when the Indians went to the playoffs in the past. He's been like, I could start every game as long as a drone doesn't attack my finger. Right. Like, he doesn't. He has no desire to not be on the mound throwing. And so my guess is, if he's saying he wants to go every four days, whether or not the Reds agree, we'll have to see. He means I want to go every four days. He means I want to go full bore. I don't care if it's a shortened season. I'll, I'll give you seven innings every four days is what I think he intends. Now, whether or not that happens, whether or not he's good enough to make that happen. You know, is a you know, I, w- question. I was going to sort of say that, like, you know, we, we've heard a lot of hot air from that general direction for a few years now. And so like, it's sort of hard to like be credible, like to find Trevor Bowers, what he demands to be credible. But, you know, makes a good point about the drive lining up of, of the reds, right? Like, cause Bowers on the front end of that. And now the whole reds, like they even uh, bodies working there, I think, and like there, there's a real tight connection with the driveline philosophy. Oh, they've got like five driveline coaches, right? So, so that 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 gives me pause that maybe the Reds might be crazy enough to do this. Like, it seems like three layers of crazy of like committing that deeply to driveline, <laughs> and then also like listening to Trevor Bauer, like. <laughs> A lot of it, it's like, like I mean, like a lot of this just does not ring like a thing that a sane organization would do. But the Reds, so I mean, like, what well, else are the Reds doing? It wasn't doing, working. You know? I mean, it, why not? The other way, it wasn't working for them. Right, right, exactly. Like, <laughs> it wasn't working before, so you might as well try something. And if it means giving the guy uh, the leash for seven innings every four four days, like 
that that has to bump his price a little bit over like the the pack where he's living right now in in current average values and current auctions right now. The other thing that that Bauer that this whole situation does for me is it makes me want to look a little bit more at some of the other Reds pitchers, right? Yeah, maybe. They've got some guys who are who are good pitchers who, you know, this isn't changing my valuation of Luis Castillo. But uh a guy like Tyler Mail, um I I just saw what like as an Indians fan, you watched what Bauer did, particularly with Clevenger, but also some of the other guys in the Indian system. And like his presence clearly impacted the Indians' ability to develop pitchers. And now the Reds are not only getting him, but all of the people he surrounds himself with on a daily basis, anyways. And like, I don't know, maybe there's nothing to that. Maybe Clevenger was going to become an ace no matter what. Like maybe that, maybe I'm I'm reading too much into it. But I look at that, and I'm like, man, I think I want to take some bets on some of those guys and just believe that a full off season with Bauer, a full off season working with the the pitching staff they have in place now, like there's a possibility they actually unlock something there. It may not happen, but it doesn't cost a lot to find out. Right. In a sixty game season, you're taking bets anyway anyway. Like everyone's taking bets this year. So it's just really being are you choosing your bets and are you choosing them wisely? Like if or are you just rolling with what your strategy is? And I think the Reds pitching staff might be an interesting one. Yeah, uh, you know, there's a lot of comfort, like, they focus on comfort there. Like, part of what they did was to, you know, make Sonny Gray happen. Because they, you know, Sonny Gray's college coach was Derek Johnson. And so they trade for Sonny Gray, they sign him to an extension, and then they send him to go throw at Vanderbilt with Derek Johnson. So they would basically be like, go return to your college self. Like, find find what you used to be. And it worked. Right. You know, right. sometimes when you make people comfortable and you surround them with what they know and like, you you get what uh, you get your best return. So, yeah, I, makes I, a lot of sense. I, I, I like Tyler as a, also as like maybe the sixth starter glue guy early. And uh, what's kind of fun about that is, um, well, I don't want to take Chad's SP prospect away from him. So, but I don't don't hesitate. Okay, Go ahead. So Dustin May. I love uh, Dustin May as a prospect, um, and I also think that he's better than Tyler Molly in terms of like you know what kind of uh, stuff he has. Uh, but um, they both will function in these interesting roles where you might be able to get some value out of them as multi-inning relievers, just like we talked about in this earlier strategy session. And then they might transition into full-time starters uh, with some upside in that place. So both really good buys uh, from that sort of multi-use perspective. Do you, do you think May is going to be the guy on the outside looking in, or one of the guys on the outside looking in with the Dodgers? I think uh, I think it's possible that he's in the minors. Yes. Well, and I actually even meant for the rotation, right? I mean, they've got they have a spot that's theoretically up for grabs. I mean, I think like I look that's at their rotation. Stripling. You, you, you think Stripling is going to get that spot? Yeah, because uh, I think it's they they're always about roster manipulation, right? So, you know, if you don't put Stripling in as a starter, you have to transition him to relieving. And he's not the type of player that you necessarily want to yo-yo around at this point in his career. You kind of have to make a decision on him. Um, Gonsolin is still early enough in his career and used to be a reliever that I think you could kind of play around with him. So I would put Gonsolin in as as the stretch glue guy, um, Stripling in the rotation, and May uh, trying to stretch out uh, off roster. I I think that's what the how the Dodgers would work, but um, May they they could also just think think that May is going to be a reliever, 
Um, it's possible as, as exciting as the stuff is. And then they would just bring May in who it's all about like what, where they think that the guy's going and then roster flexibility. So to me, Gonsolin is the fungible one. They found him. They made him. They'll just, they'll just use him however they want to use him. Makes sense. But May is, May is like, uh, like more of a prospecty thing where, yeah, yeah, we've done that. <laughs> so as we're talking prospects. Who are who are the other prospects? I mean, May, May was the guy that I that I'm excited about. I really think um, I like what the Dodgers have done. I think they're going to bring him along the right way. Uh, even if it doesn't happen this year with the shortened season, I think that his his long term, I think long term he is a starter, and I think he'll be a very good one. Um, but I also think he's going to get some innings this year. I just think they're going to find a way to use him. But I, I could be wrong about that. But who are the other starting pitching prospects that you guys are excited about? You know, it, it, it turns out all the guys that I like are $3. Um, so uh, I guess I like $3 pitching prospects. The uh, the thing that a $3 pitching prospect says to me before you even tell me the name is that they're close to the major leagues um, and they aren't the number one pitching prospect. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. And that's that, that describes how I work. So, I you know, Dylan Cease, Spencer Howard, Nate Pearson, Luis Patino – that's that's the crew I like to work with. I see a lot of great stuff, and they're they're knocking on the door. They're gonna be they're gonna play in the big leagues this year. Patino's the only one that you know some slight question mark, but I think he's gonna play in the big leagues this year because the Padres are gonna need him. The the, the one guy I had on my list that matches that range one hundred percent is Matt Manning. Again, he's a three dollar average guy in first year leagues. He's not the presumably not the the top pitching prospect on his team, but. I think I like Manning better than Mize, and especially considering Mize has been going for $2 more than, than Manning has. Um, and I think Manning is another guy who's going to get time this year for sure in that Tigers rotation. Um, I, I, don't, I mean, Mackenzie Gore is an obvious one. But uh, we M- talked Mize to, and Gore are like $7, $8. Right, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, and, and I think, yeah, Gore is $8. Mize is a little bit cheaper than that, but still it's 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 five over $5. So, um you know, we we had talked in in that a prior episode. We had talked about sort of those back end organizational arms that might technically they're not considered prospects, but but there's going to be a, a handful of those guys that are going to get time this year. Um, I don't. We we talked about some names. I don't think there was anybody that really stood out, but that's another sort of asset class that I'd be interested in keeping a close eye on. Are these guys that are on the player pool that that might get some some time, but aren't traditional prospect guys. Um, one one guy that sort of fits that mold for me is Joe Ryan for the Rays, um, a guy that's performed really well. He doesn't really have a, a prospect pedigree necessarily, but I think if he was given a chance to pitch either out of the bullpen or as a you know one of those piggyback starters they might roll with this year, um, could could have some value this year in auto new league. So that was another another name that I liked. And then Ian Anderson for the Braves is a guy I've liked for a few years um, as a as a New York State pitcher. Um, I, I think he. I don't know if he would be in the mix at all this year for the Braves, but I do think the talent is is higher than than the market thinks right now. He's really weird, dude. I don't. I, <laughs> there's something really. I'm. I. I have no shares, but I am. I'm completely interested in his career because apparently he has a very low spin breaking ball, 
Um, and that's why other teams have not been breaking down the door. Like he's been offered around and, and shopped apparently, um, in real life and, um, no one's really biting and you'll, you'll see very different placements on prospect lists for Ian Anderson, uh, based on how much they care about spin and that sort of thing. But the strikeout rates are insane. I mean, the strikeout yeah, I mean, rates have been really, really stats good. Stats are nuts. Yeah. yeah. He strikes me as a guy though, who's going to be really hurt by the way the season's breaking down this year. Cause his his triple A performance last year does not make you think like no, yeah let's we need throw to this get guy him in the here, mix yeah. today and he's gonna and if and if they don't feel comfortable throwing him to mix today does he basically just lose a year of development yeah, like that's this, a, that's the scary uh, I mean thing he might be in camp throwing to yeah he might be in cash and waters to, he's gonna to he's gonna face so. guys but it's I don't think throwing I don't think throwing in a camp game. Even to guys like Christian Passion, Drew Waters, who are awfully good guys to be throwing to, like it's just not the same. I don't think. I, I guess we don't know. We have no idea. We're gonna have to see no, what happens. But there's something definitely missing, which is variety. You're just gonna yeah. keep seeing Passion Waters. So by the end of the season, you're like, I know how to get patched out. <laughs> 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 I think it's really important for him if like Pash just owns him. Yeah. Right? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> One of the things that does work against him is he is a he was a non-roster invitee, so he's not on the 40-man right now. So um, he's in the player pool, but obviously he'd have to be added to the 40-man to get uh, to, to, to to play in, in the majors this year. Really so against him, yeah, yeah. So that might that might complicate things for his case for for the short term. But um, that's interesting about the low spin rate. I hadn't I hadn't read that or heard that about him. The, so the two guys that I have that remind me a little bit of Joe Ryan are Austin Voth and Alec Mills. Um, they're cheaper. They're not really, no one thinks of them as prospects. They've never been on a prospect list, but they have opportunity now fifth starters for their, for their respective squads. Um, they don't have the kind of stuff that makes you a top prospect, but they both have decent command. They both have large pitching mixes. And, um, if you think about surprises, um, like Ross Stripling, Hunjin Ryu, um, even Granky to some extent, the, the, the surprise is his career, not, um, not that he was good. Um, I think a lot of them have good command and large uh, pitching arsenals. Um, so I think that's a good way to age well and to surprise people is to to be like, oh, I, you know, none of my pitches are amazing, but I have five of them. Right. I think it was very, very nice of Justin to let you mention Voth first. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've, been a, I've been a fan. I will say, though, looking at his Fangraphs page right now, I guess I didn't realize he's already 28. Like, So he's not mm-hmm. a prospect in any sort of traditional sense. But He's um, more like a jump-up guy. But, uh, well, he's right, going to get his first, right, his like first a late- real... Maybe he's he's going to get his ne- first real shot this year, right? I mean, like, that's the... First, yeah, I mean, I think... Real shot. Yeah. And I, I think he can perform well enough to be relevant for Autonew for sure. Yeah, I mean, Jonathan Loisega is uh, my second mention of him. I love, love, love his stuff, but, you know, it's, I think, the most extreme case of injury risks I've ever seen. Yeah. So. Yeah, terrifying. Terrifying. <laughs> I mean, like, in a 60-game, man, you, you, you get injured. Who's coming back? Yeah. Like, what pitcher is coming back from, a, from any kind of injury? This year, they like only you, cost you have dollar forty two in new leagues, so yeah, yeah, it's worth the risk, maybe, maybe worth the bet, but um, it's just it's a, we're gonna have to see how the rosters shake out and how roster transactions shake out with the sixty man and the taxi squad and everything. Like maybe you don't bring a guy back for 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 two or three starts in September, 
you know, like part of it's going to depend on what kind of treatment they need. Like yeah, the guy sure. needs to leave camp, actually leave camp and go somewhere else and get treatment and deal with something. You're not coming Does he back. Does he have to quarantine before he comes back? So is he dealing with two weeks of treatment? Like it's a two week uh, injury. He gets two weeks of treatment, two weeks of quarantine, and then two weeks of if rehab. He's a Jay, then he definitely has to. Yeah, right. I mean, like you you can imagine the scenarios, and it seems unlikely to me that you know, like injury risks are a little. Look, it's a pitcher. What you're doing is inherently an injury risk, right? Like the act of pitching is an injury risk. But, but yeah, I mean, like guys like Louis, I mean, it's, it's just a little bit more nerve wracking uh, this season, you know? Yeah, because um, even like a, a, we're shutting him down for two weeks because it's a little sore, but he'll be fine. Is like, okay. Yeah, um, okay. I lost, I lost a quarter of his, lost a quarter yeah, of his value. Yeah. Maybe even more than a quarter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, I think uh, I think we've covered as much as we we possibly can in this episode. I don't want to want to take uh, any more of Eno Terrace's time today, but thank you so much, Eno, for for joining us and, and talking pitching. Um, it was a blast. It, hopefully, we we had some really good information for for the auto new listeners here. Um, so thanks again, and and um, we will we will see everybody else next time. We're gonna we're gonna pick back up with second base and then uh, outfield after that, but. We had to get this one out of order. You know, Saris agreed to be on the podcast. We had to. We had to. And I'm going on in, vacation so. next week. Yeah. Right, so we, yeah, we, <laughs> going to the beach. Nice. I need Joy. It. I need it. <laughs> Dude, it's been right. so hard making content. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, we appreciate you coming on, man. All right. Nice. Yeah. Thanks. Good to see you guys. Thanks. For All right, thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs>